that, that God is working and moving and doing in him, hey, there it is. As we see all the things that God's doing in him, here's the thing that I want you guys to hopefully have eyes to see. As Solomon is struggling with this concept that he recognizes that the nation is going to enter into a time of a divided heart, he doesn't see that he is going to start it. That it's his divided heart that leads the nation into a time of, of having a divided heart. When we look at the scripture, the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy that God wants what from us? So the, the thing that the Lord wants from us in Deuteronomy chapter 6, we, we think it's so many other things. What the Lord is asking for is that we would love him with our whole heart. It's an undivided heart. Whenever the children of Israel would fall into trouble, it was over a divided heart. What do I mean? I mean, they still had God. God was part of their life, but they were adding all these other things. They would also add uh, the god Baal. Baal was the god of rain. And the children of Israel lived in a land that required rain for their crops. And one of the things God promised them was, if you and I aren't on the same page, I'm going to withhold the rain. So that you'll seek my face, and then we'll get things right, and I'll bring the rain. Well, the children of Israel decided to go to Baal instead. So this relationship with God wasn't working out quite the way they thought, so they would mix in the worship of Baal. I mean, after all, how can that hurt? I'm worshiping Jehovah, I'm worshiping Almighty God, and now I'll also worship Baal. That way I got all my bases covered. The problem is... At that moment, the heart becomes divided. Divided heart. God wants a, a, a heart committed to Him. Now, just before Solomon, there was another king, right? Everybody remember the king we studied before? That king's name was David. What is it that the Scripture tells us about David? He was a what? A man after, after what? man after God's own heart. He had an undivided heart. Was he perfect? No, of course not. Did he sin? Absolutely. Did he do dumb things? Yep. He has that in common with every one of us, right? But what he didn't have was a divided heart. We don't see David worshiping other gods. We don't see David mixing in a relationship with some type of other deity saying, Oh, if I, if I pray to this God too, I'm covering my bases better. No, David's heart was given to the Lord. His performance wasn't perfect, but God is looking at the heart of man. When David was chosen as king, do you remember as they were passing before Samuel, all the, all the sons of Jesse, and Samuel says, wow, this would be a really good one. Let's, let's pick this guy. I mean, look how big he is. He's strapping, handsome guy. That's our king. You remember what the Lord said to him? He says, Samuel, men judge by what they see, but I go by the heart. That's not the one. This is the relationship that God is looking for us. This is the thing that eludes the wisest man who ever lived. He's, he, he gives the message to the people, right? Don't have a divided heart. We're going to see it again tonight. Have a heart of integrity. Have a heart uh, committed and, and given to the Lord. But what do we see Solomon doing in his own life? He spent 20 years building God's house, which was his mission that God gave him. But he also built himself a humongous uh, palace. Not that having a humongous palace is a bad thing, but what happened? 
his heart starts to go after that. What else did he build? Stables. Well, that's a problem, isn't it? Because the Bible said not to multiply horses. You don't need stable grounds everywhere in the land of Israel unless you have what? Multiplied horses. What else do we know about Solomon? The Bible says not to multiply wives. Anybody remember the story of Solomon's wives? Over 700 wives and 300 concubines. The other way? 300 wives, 700 concubines? 700 wives, 300 concubines. Isn't that what I said? No. Oh. That's what I was thinking. So that's what his, he is multiplying wives for himself. He's multiplying horses for himself. There was a third warning that God gave about kings. And the third warning was that they would not multiply gold. Now I want you to think about those three warnings that God gave as we prepare to look at what the Lord has for us tonight. Those three warnings are areas in our life we still struggle in regard to my own security. Where is my security found? Is my security found in my relationship with God? Is my security found in, in the relationship with Him, the fact that I love Him, and, and that? Or is my security found in my savings account? Do I feel safe when my savings account's full or when my relationship with God is right? Or we look at the, the, the view of the horses. The horses in that day was a symbol of military power. We live in arguably the most powerful land on the face of earth right now. Currently, does that, is that where our security lies? In the might of our military, my ability to fight, and the stuff I have. I fill up my house with guns. Am I happier? Am I more secure in that, or am I more secure in my relationship with God? The third part was the, the abundance of wives. And the Lord told us specifically why He told them not to do that. How was it that kings made peace treaties in those days? They take a wife. And so he's, he is going to have the most peaceful kingdom in Israel's history. How is he going to achieve it? By marrying everybody's daughter all around him. We already know he has Pharaoh's daughter. He's going to marry others. But what did the Lord say? If you do that, they will turn your heart away from me. Now, I probably shouldn't say this. Keeping my wife happy is a full-time job. A thousand other women? Is it any wonder why he would have a divided heart? I don't know how he'd have time to do anything else. Think of the honeydew list. I, get a, I come home for a honeydew list, and it could be two pages long, maybe. Now, multiply that by another 999 wives. Oh, I'll never even get through the book of all the things that I need to do. So we see Solomon's heart and the warning that he gives in chapter 8 against a divided heart. We see him beginning the journey. Now, there's a song on the radio. Maybe you guys have heard it. The song's called Slow Fade. What's it talk about? It says that, that the decline of my relationship with God is not typically something that happens sudden. It's a slow fade. In the book of Revelation, it goes like this. Think about the seven letters to the seven churches. The letter to the first church, Church of Ephesus, is the church whose priorities are twisted. What is the priority that's twisted for the first church? They have left their first love. 
So the challenge that the Lord gives to them, the church of Ephesus, is to re- remember, return, and repent. Come back. Come back to the proper priorities. Okay, their priority. What is my motivation? Why do I do? Why do I come to Bible study? Why do I do the things I do? What is it that God wants from me? He wants my heart. He wants my love. He wants that in the relationship. That's, that's His desire. That's what He is looking for from me. And so the second church is the church of Smyrna, the persecuted church. And the persecuted church was called to be faithful until death. They were going through hard times, difficult things. And they were hoping that God would say to them, Be faithful until I rescue you. But that's not what the Lord said. The Lord said to Smyrna, Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. So be faithful. Be faithful. The first church is a call to love. The second encouragement to the second church Be faithful. Be faithful even in the face of difficulty, even in disappointment. Stay faithful. Stay faithful. So we have love, faith. And the church of Pergamos, we see a church that has begun to compromise. That's where Solomon is right now. He's begun to compromise. He's begun to multiply horses. He's begun to multiply gold. He's begun to multiply wives. His heart is beginning to turn. In chapter 10, we'll see the peak of Solomon's reign. And then we come off the precipice after chapter 10. I don't think we'll get there tonight. But that third church, the letter to the third church, was a letter to say, you're compromising. You're caught in compromise. The letter to the fourth church was to say, you're corrupt. That's the journey. Love lost, faith lost, compromise, corrupt. It's the same journey our lives take. We grow dull in our love for the Lord. We lack in our faithfulness to God. We begin to compromise with the world. Things that we know God's telling us to let go of. And then we enter into corruption. For the first four letters to the seven churches in Revelation follow that same pattern. In Solomon's life, his challenge is, and here's where we got to watch out. Because sometimes when we read the Bible, we read it as a flashlight. Do you guys know what I mean? Like, I'll be looking at it and I'll say, but I wish Fritz would really listen to this verse. Because this verse is for Fritz, for crying out loud. If there was ever a verse that speaks to Fritz, it's this one. But the Bible's not a flashlight. It's not used for me to shine a light on my brother. It's a mirror. It shows me my life, my heart, my issues. Solomon is teaching and he's praying and, he, and he, at this point he, he loves the Lord and he wants to honor God and God's going to meet him for the second time 20 years later after he begun he's going to meet him at the end of the building of the temple and God's going to speak to him again but God's going to give him a challenge God's going to say Solomon you need to get on track with me you need to follow you need to walk with me you need to, you need to have a heart of integrity with me an undivided heart 
That's what God's going to tell Solomon. Solomon has told all the people. But he's not guarding his own heart. And that's the challenge for us. Are you, are you guarding your own heart? Your relationship with God is not based on anyone else's. It's yours. Your God story doesn't even necessarily have to sound like anybody else's God story. It's yours. It's your story of how God has shown himself in your life. And that's something that we need to guard. And that's something we need to protect. And that's something we need to water. And that's something we need to care for. Or we'll find ourselves on the same path that Solomon's on. That's where he is beginning as we take a look in chapter 9. Let's look together. It says, And it came to pass... When Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all Solomon's desire, which he wanted to do. Sometimes I wonder, you know, the Bible lays out for us, without vision my people perish. There is a, a point in which God wants us to constantly, consistently be looking to him for guidance for what's next. And that's a struggle in ministry. Because occasionally you get somewhere. I mean, for those of you who have been at Calvary Chapel Buell since the pawn shop days, in the little pink building down the road, when you went through all the hardship of, of the parking problems and the issues there and the problems that arose and, and the church blossomed and grew and they needed a building and they prayed and they, Brent and Merrily and, and Fritz and Joni would come down and sit in the parking lot out here and pray that God would give them a building and, and this was such a perfect building for it. And, and then the Lord began to move and open up doors and, and provided for us to have the building. And then the work begins because now you got the building, everybody's excited until you realize this is not how it looked when they all came in. And they begin working and they put up walls and they, and they repair floors and they f fix it the way that they want it to be. And then you finished. And the danger is right then. Did you hear what verse 1 said? When he had finished all that he had purposed to do. When are we finished with everything we're purposed to do? When we see the Lord. When we see his face. Solomon was so, so excited and filled with the desire to build God's house. That when he finishes the building of God's house, he comes to a place where he doesn't know what he should do next. And he throws himself into a hundred different areas. Read the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, I've tasted of everything under the sun, and it is all empty. I've had it all. And it doesn't mean anything. Because that simple phrase... When he had finished all that was in his heart that he desired to do. But when we get the building done here, that's just the beginning, right? The building is nothing unless there are people in the building. How do you get people in the building? Well, you go and you talk to people who don't know Jesus and you introduce them to the Lord and you tell them to come to church and learn and grow. And then healthy sheep beget healthy sheep. 
and then you end up having problems again. What's the problems? Well, it don't fit. We, we, we're busting at the seams, or we, we need this, or we need that, and we, there is constantly, there is never, ever a time when you reach the pinnacle of success, and it's done. Until you see Jesus' face. It's never done. There's always the next thing. And that's the danger. Anytime in ministry, it's a danger for Solomon. I'm finished. I did it. Oh, I built the house. God moved in. The, his, his presence shook the temple. The cloud drove out the priests. I mean, it was an incredible time of worship. I still meet people occasionally in California that can tell me, Oh, I was at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa back in the tent days. Do you know how long ago the tent days were? That's in the 60s. A lot of things been going on since then. But sometimes we get stuck in that one place, right? We can say, oh, I've been with Calvary Chapel Buell since the pawn shop days, but we're still moving. There's still stuff happening. There's preschool going on. There's celebrate recovery going on. There's people's lives being changed every day. And we need to be a part of it. Not to reach the point where, oh, we finished. The building's done. The, the, you know, the reality is building's never done. As soon as you finish it, something leaks. Or a window breaks, or a door creaks. There's always something. But the point being, we don't want to come to that point like Solomon. Oh, I've finished. I'm done. I'm not done. If there's a person who doesn't know Jesus Christ, we're not done. And I shared with you... Sometimes we think that the, the mission of evangelism is so hard, we think there needs to be these huge outreaches. Listen, if we wiped out and said there were zero Christians today, and we began with one, and he led a person to the Lord once a year, and every person who got saved led a person to the Lord once a year from that point forward in 35 years, the population of the earth at this point would have all been reached that's not an insurmountable goal the problem is we leave that goal so big that we think it's not possible for me to reach all these people but one person a year one person a year certainly is not an impossible goal there's as long as there's one person who doesn't know the lord there's something for us to be doing there's someone for us to be reaching out to it says in verse 2, Then the Lord appeared to Solomon the second time, as he had appeared to him when he was in Gibeon. He appeared to Solomon when he was a child. Now Solomon's grown, he's older, and the Lord is going to appear to him again. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your supplication that you have made before me. And I have consecrated this house, which you have built, to put my name there forever. And my eyes and my heart will be there perpetually so the lord is there his presence is there he's watching that place don't you see this is why every synagogue you'll ever come to is always built toward the east because it's pointing back to jerusalem to where to the temple to the place so when when daniel prayed when the children of israel were were in bondage where did he face he faced toward jerusalem he faced toward the temple to that place where God said, this is where I put my name, this is where my eyes are, this is where my ears are. So the people always prayed in that direction. Now, does God hear us no matter which way we're facing? Yeah, of course He does. 
But for the children of Israel, it held special significance that this was the place. This is the place where we worship God. When Jesus came and he he met the woman in Samaria, and she said, you people say we should worship on that hill, we say we should worship on this hill. I mean, where should we worship? And Jesus said, worship salvation is of the Jews. We're... They've got it right. You're worshiping on the wrong mountain. But the day is coming and has come when the Lord desires worship in spirit and in truth. It's not about a place anymore. Now it's about personal relationship. You can know God. You can have that relationship with him. So we see here in this place the Lord saying, Hey, there I am. I'm in this place. My name is in this place. I'll be there. I'll be watching over that place forever. Verse 4. He goes on and he gives Solomon an affirmation and a challenge of the Davidic covenant, which is an if-then covenant. So theologically, as we look at covenants, there are two kinds. Unconditional and conditional. An unconditional is a covenant when God says, I will, I will, I will. Like the covenant that God gave to Abraham. A conditional covenant is a covenant that says, if you, then I. If you walk in obedience, then I will. And really, that's often the way that the Lord speaks to us today. Sometimes we don't think that that's what God's doing. But listen, God speaks to us that way. I want you to think of a, of a scripture I think we all know. Romans eight twenty eight. For we know all things, and all means, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now we can all grab hold of that promise. But do you hear the condition? All things work together for good to those who love God. It doesn't say all things work together for everyone. It says all things work together for good to those who love God and are the called according to his purposes. <laughs> if you are my child... I will work these things in your life. That's what God's saying. That's where our hope is. Here as he begins to talk to Solomon in the same kind of language, look at verse 4. He says, if you walk before me as your father David walked, look at the phrase, in integrity of heart. In the Hebrew, that word means singleness of heart. Or another way of saying that, undivided. My heart is his. Now, how David was, we talked about it, right? A man after God's own heart, a man with integrity of heart, and an uprightness to do according to all that I have commanded you. And if you keep my statutes and my judgments, then I will establish the throne of your kingdom over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying you will not fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. This is an if then covenant if you walk according if you keep my commandments and you remember how we talked about keeping we're not talking about a word that deals with performance 
as much as we're talking about a word that deals with value, do you keep God's commandments? Does God's word have value to you? If God says, thou shalt whatever, does that mean anything to you? Do you treasure it? Does God's word, do you grab a hold of God's word and say, I want to keep, it's not performances, do you treasure his word? Do you value what God says? If I value what God says, then in my heart, I am keeping his commandments. Do you understand what I'm saying? Even though David commits adultery, even though David stumbles, even though David murders, even though David has all those things, the Bible still says he was a man after God's own heart because he valued God's word. None of us will be perfect or sinless, right? Doesn't the Bible tell us in the book of Romans, among other places, that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? So everyone is guilty, Everyone falls short. What God says is, I want an undivided heart. I want a heart of integrity. I want a heart focused on me. I want a heart that values my word. That you want to walk in my ways. That you want to obey me. It doesn't mean that we'll be perfect. But it means that that's our desire. It's what's in my heart. When we come to an opportunity to pray, the sinner's prayer with an unbeliever, what is it that the scripture says? If you confess with your mouth, and what? Is that it? And believe in your heart. If I confess with my mouth and believe in my heart. It's not just words. It's the reality of what's happening in my heart. Where's my heart toward the Lord? Where's my heart toward God? And so this is the challenge that God gives him. In verse 6, he gives the negative side of it. But if you or your sons at all turn from following me, And do not keep my commandments and my statutes which I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them. Then I will cut off Israel from the land which I have given them. And this house which I have consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight. Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all the people. I want you to think about that for a minute. That's a promise. Has that been accomplished? Well, that this house that Solomon built, you can't see anymore. When you go to the Temple Mount today, on top of the Temple Mount is a Muslim holy ground, the, the Dome of the Rock. A place of the worship of the infidel, if you will, in terms of the Israelite. And has the nation of Israel become a byword? You ever use this phrase? Yeah, you know, I went to go buy that. That guy Jewed me down. You would not believe. Is it a byword today? Isn't that what the Bible said would happen? If you or your kids... Listen, we know that the kingdom is divided under Solomon's son, but the beginning of the divided heart starts with Solomon. We will read a scripture that says... Solomon multiplied wives for himself, and they turned his heart away from God. It's the reality. God's challenge to him is, you have to guard your heart. Don't you see how important your heart is to the Lord? 
we don't always guard our heart. We'll give our heart to anything sometimes. You know, we'll, we'll offer that heart to this or to that, to this hope, to that hope, to this desire. We'll, we'll fill it with, we, there's, I mean, there's definitely within Scripture the concept that your heart, the missing part of your heart, that your heart desires, is the relationship it lost in the Garden of Eden when God used to walk with Adam in the cool of the evening. When Adam was fulfilled, when Adam was the happiest he ever was, was when he and God used to just walk together. And they would talk. And they would think about the, the creation and they, they named the animals and they traveled around. And that, that time must have been, was the greatest in his life ever. And the moment that Adam fell, that was all lost. And ever since, man has tried to cram something else in it. He's tried to fill it with Wine, women, and song. He's tried to fill it with anything. He's even tried to dull the ache in the heart that's there forever when you don't have a relationship with God. We think, oh, this ache in my heart is a, is a relationship with a man or a woman. And then we have a relationship with a man or a woman and we think, oh, I still have that ache. Well, it must be the wrong woman or the wrong man. Well, you can change your, the men and women in your life like you change your clothes. It won't change the ache in your heart. And then when I'm still dealing with that ache in my heart, how am I going to do it? I'm gonna, how, am I, how am I going to deal with that ache? I'm going to medicate it. I'm going to pour enough alcohol on it so that the ache dulls. I'm going to shoot up enough dope so I don't have to think about it. I'm going to stay as wasted and obliterated as I can. And then I'm not having the deal. I'm not having the focus. I don't have to, to face the reality that there's something lacking in my life. And if you want to see the best example of that, it's Solomon. Read Ecclesiastes. Solomon is crying out in Ecclesiastes, nothing satisfies my life. It's empty. Isn't that the cry of the world today? How many movie stars, how many rock stars, how many people who have it all have to die, kill themselves, and say my life is empty and meaningless before we realize it's not going to be found in fame and fortune. But the reality is you and I, <coughs> we know the truth. That missing piece is my relationship with God with an undivided heart. And if my heart is divided, I am not experiencing that relationship. So there's a lot of people today who say, I tried Jesus, I tried God, and I, and I give my life to Him, and I kind of experimented with some of these things about the Lord, but I'm still unsatisfied in that, so I had to go look for it someplace else. No, you're unsatisfied because your heart is still divided. He doesn't have it all. He needs it all. The whole heart. I can't live my life like I want to and add Jesus to it. That's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. It's no different than the children of Israel worshiping this God and that God and adding Jehovah or Yahweh to the mix. It's the same idea. God's call here is to a heart undivided, a heart committed, a heart focused. And that's where the real relationship with God is found. And a lot of people talk about it. You know, I don't, I'm just, I don't, I don't feel it. I don't have the, the passion I should have. I don't have the, the this or the that. I, I'm not experiencing 
all that I think God has for me. Because Jesus said, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world gives. In other words, I'm not giving it and taking it away. Give I unto you. My peace. What is that peace? The peace that surpasses all understanding. But there's times in my life, if we're honest, you experience it too, I don't feel the peace of God. Instead, I feel the storm, the craziness. Oh, life is nutty. What am I going to do? Ah. I'm not feeling the peace. Well, the Lord says, I don't take it away from you. It's still there. What are you trusting in? Well, I've just been focusing on my gold. I've been focusing on my my horses, the stables. I've been focusing on the multiplying of wives. And I'm not experiencing what it is that God has for me in an undivided heart. It's Him. We, we choose Him. He chooses us. It's, it's His way. <coughs> the Bible says, Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Everybody familiar with the scripture? Submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. How many times do you hear people say, Man, I'm really having a hard time with the devil. And you know the scripture says, Resist the devil, and he will flee. Well, we like that part. What's the first part again? Submit to God. We were talking about this same concept on Sunday. I've been, I wrestle with it myself, so you get to wrestle with it with me. That's the deal. What's that concept? In, in our walk with God, we, just like Christ, will experience our gachmone, our Gethsemane. A place where we submit our will to the Father. We too, like Jesus, are going to be crucified. We too, like Jesus, will be risen again. Resurrected to a new life. We too will ascend to the Father. And in my walk with Christ, Galatians chapter 2, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the power that I live my life, I live through the power of the Holy Spirit given to me by the Son of God. This is a gift that God has, has put into my life to enable me to be who I need to be. But I don't want to go through the crucifixion. I just want the resurrection. You can't be resurrected without the crucifixion. What is it that Jesus said? If you would follow me, what? Yeah, you must die to yourself. Pick up your cross. Follow me. Where did he go? To the cross. To the place of crucifixion. Crucifixion of self. The death of of my dreams and my desires. And the acceptance of his. Which were better than mine anyway. To experience all that God has for me. Now Solomon begins that. Because he comes as a young man. He says, Lord, I don't know how to read. I don't know how to lead your people. And I got this big job ahead of me. I got to build this temple. And I don't know how to do it, Lord. And the Lord says, well, ask of me anything and I'll give it to you. And Solomon said, then you give me the wisdom to lead your people. Give me the wisdom to, to do what you've called me to do. And so the Lord says, man, you got it. 
And because you didn't ask for all the other things, I'm going to give you peace. I'll wipe out your enemies for you. You're not going to have to worry about any wars. And I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you prosperity. You're not going to have to worry about money. You're not going to have to worry about any of this stuff. You just focus on you and me. And his vision went as far as the finishing of the temple. And then he had no vision after that. How far does your vision go? I remember when I, me and Kathy were younger, my vision went to, wow, when I get these kids out of the house. Well, I don't know. That was my vision. I'm not sure that that was always Kathy's. Now, they're still there. And then I keep hearing stories about how they come back after you send them out anyway, and they multiply and bring more with them. That may be. Where's your vision go? What is it that God wants to work in your life? Not just me, not just your, your pastor who has vision. There's direction that God wants to go in your life. What is it? What's your purpose? Where's your place? Where do you fit? See it, know it, feel it, fulfill what God has for you. And then recognize that God wants that undivided heart. And the way I keep an undivided heart is to keep before my face my, my uh, division, my, my, my accomplishment, what God wants to do. What's God want to do in my life? I want to follow the Lord with all my heart. Then I'm constantly got to be looking toward Him and following Him step by step by step. What's next? What's next? What's next? There's no retirement, right? I'm sorry. In your relationship with Jesus Christ, there's no retirement. I reached the point where I don't have to do anything. Sorry. The American dream, there's retirement. As long as you're not the Calvary Chapel pastor, there's retirement. But in God's economy, there is always something to be done. Always somewhere to go. And that's what keeps our hearts focused. And and see, this is what God is telling them about his sons and about him. So that Israel won't become a byword. He says in verse 8, And as for this house which is exalted, everyone who passes by it will be astonished and hiss. And they'll say, why has the Lord done this to this land and to this house? Go to Israel today. And you stand at what is the foundation stones of the temple. Now, this is not the building. It's the foundation. It's what makes the temple flat, the temple area, the temple mount. Because the mountain's pointy. They made it flat. And the foundation stones that are closest to the place that they believe the Ark of the Covenant sat is what we call today the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall where the Jews go to pray. And people walk by today and they go, what is this all about? It's exactly what God said would happen if their heart was divided. If their heart was divided... They were going to lose the temple. They are going to lose the land until the Lord redeems it. The Bible tells us when Jesus Christ is going to return bodily. I'm not talking about the rapture. I'm saying the Bible tells us when Jesus Christ will return bodily. It is when Israel believes. When they believe, he comes back. When they look upon him whom they have pierced and mourn as one mourns for his only son. It happens in Revelation chapter 19. If you, if you want to read about it. And all the prophets talk about it. 
when, as Paul puts it in Romans 9, 10, 11, all of Israel will be saved. Not all who call themselves Israel. That's not what he's saying. But all who are real Israel, who put their faith in their Messiah, are going to be saved. And this is the beginning of the decline that then causes the nation to look for the resurrection of the nation again. Verse 9, Then they will answer, Because they forsook the Lord their God, <coughs> excuse me, who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt, and have embraced other gods, and worshipped them, and served them. Therefore the Lord has brought all this calamity upon them. Right? We, all throughout Scripture we said that God tells the people over and over again, there's two roads you can choose. Right? Two paths. One leads to life, the other leads to death. If you stay on this road, you'll go to life. If you stay on this road, you'll go to death. Not God's fault if you chose the road that goes to death. You pick the road. The Lord tells you where it goes. And that's what they're saying here. In verse 10 it says, Now it happened at the end of 20 years, when Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house. Hiram, the king of Tyre, had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress and gold as much as he desired. That Solomon, King Solomon, then gave Hiram 20 cities of the land of Galilee. Now, to me, we begin to see that decline. The Lord shows up to Solomon 20 years later. He says, man, Solomon, as long as you walk with me and you and I have a right relationship, there will never cease to be a king on the throne from the family of David. If your sons continue to walk, I'm going to be with you. But if you guys get a divided heart, then we're going to, all this glory that you've built is going to pass away. Then the very next thing scripture tells, the 20 years is done, the building's done, and King Hiram, who had given to Solomon all the cypress and the cedar, the wood that he used in the building of the palace, and the stables, and the temple, and all the gold that, that Solomon needed, now that, which means that Solomon didn't have enough at the time for everything that he wanted to do, and, and King Hiram gave it to him. It says, then Hiram... Uh, King Solomon gave Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. So he gave to him 20 cities around the Sea of Galilee. And Hiram went from Tyre to see the cities which Solomon had given him. But they did not please him. So he said, what kind of cities are these which you have given me, my brother? And he called them the land of Kabul, as they are to this day. Literally good for nothing. Garbage, junk. Oh, man. Solomon, in repaying his debt to Hiram, gave Hiram something he wasn't satisfied with. Why does the Bible tell us this story? Why does he give us this insight? Think about all that Solomon had now. At one time, he needed Hiram's help to do all the building. But in a while, we're going to read they stopped counting gold because they had so much. We know he had tons of horses, right? Would it, was it within his capability to pay back the loan that he got from Hiram? Was it, could he have done it in a way that pleased Hiram? But he didn't. He gave him something Hiram despised. 
And why would you give to a, a king that's not Jewish, Jewish land? Why not just give him back the gold you borrowed? Why not just pay him for the wood that you used? But you see, those things began to have more value in Solomon's mind than the land did. Well, think about it like this. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, where your treasure is, what? That's where your heart will be also. So he says, treasure up for yourselves, treasures in heaven, where moth can't destroy, where rust, where rust won't destroy, where moth won't corrupt, where thieves won't break in and steal. Treasure up for yourself these things in heaven. Heavenly treasures. But Solomon was valuing, think about how much gold. In the temple itself, don't you see every wall, the floor, the ceiling was gold. That's pretty amazing. In, a, in chapter 10, we're going to see Solomon give. If we valued what Solomon gives to the Queen of Sheba, in today's standards, it would be one billion dollars so it means he had it to give and it strains the relationship between he and Hiram but what I think God is showing us through the scripture is this is how it starts in your heart A slowly slow fade Money becomes more valuable, or my horses. I surely couldn't give them 10,000 horses because I have multiple thousands more than that. I surely could have given him a billion dollars or just paid him what I, what I owed him, but he gave him what he didn't value. And I think that's the point that the scripture is laying out. It's a slow fade, he's not totally gone. He has a relationship with God. He's still going to do good things. His peak is in chapter 10. But little compromises in his heart are beginning to take hold. So that in a moment, in a, for us, in a, in a couple of weeks, we'll read where it happens. And his heart was turned away from God. It's those little things. Little Struggles, the little things that God says, hey, this is a problem, this is a weight. Paul would say to us, cast aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Cast aside every weight, whatever's holding you back. But Solomon was grabbing with both hands all the gold, all the silver, all the stuff that he valued. And what was valued most by God, the land and the people, <laughs> he's given to foreign kings. You can have ten cities around the Galilee. Oh, do you happen to remember where Jesus did the most of his ministry? Around the Galilee. Around the, the part that Solomon was given away. That's where Jesus is going to minister. Well... I think that's the point that the, that the Lord is laying out as we look at the story of King Hiram. It says, Then Hiram sent the king 120 
talents of gold. So the relationship is strained. I think it shows more the heart of Solomon. They're still going to end friends. But again, compromise. Slow steps outside of what God wants to do. And then in verse 15, And this is the reason for the labor force, (coughs) which King Solomon raised to build the house of the Lord, his own house. The Milo, the wall of Jerusalem, Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer. In case you're wondering what Hazor, Megiddo, and Gezer were, those were places where he stored his horses. Three cities. You go to Israel today, you can walk through Megiddo. It was a stable yard for Solomon. Megiddo, you guys know where that's at, right? Mount Megiddo. Mount Megiddo, let me see. Mount Megiddo overlooks the Valley of Jezreel. There's another name for the Valley of Jezreel. It is Har Megiddo. Well, we read about it in the Bible. We say it like this, Armageddon. The perfect battlefield. The mountain overlooking that is Megiddo, where Solomon stored his horses. And it guarded a travel route that came from uh, the south up through into Israel. So, he says here, I'm, I'm building these things. Hazor, Megiddo, Gezer. And listen to this. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and taken Gezer and burned it with fire and killed the Canaanites who dwelt in the city and gave it as a dowry to his daughter. You remember who his daughter married, right? Solomon's wife. Solomon married her because they just fell in love. They saw each other from afar one day and she was Pharaoh's daughter and no, it has nothing to do with that. What was it? A treaty between Egypt and Israel. How did they make their treaties? Marry my daughter. We'll have peace. I don't want to come over there and kill my grandkids. So, this is the first that Solomon has taken. He's taken her years before. He built her a palace. And this city, Gezer, was given by Pharaoh to Solomon. And Solomon built Gezer, Lor, Beth Haran, uh, Baalath, and Tadmor, and the wilderness, and the land of Judah. All the storage cities that Solomon had, cities for his chariots, cities for his cavalry, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. Hey, he built a lot of stuff. Money was no object. He had it all. All the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, who were not of the children of Israel, that is, their descendants who were left in the land after them, whom the children of Israel had not been able to destroy completely, from these Solomon raised his forced labor. What's another word for that? Isn't that a nice way to say it? And Solomon raised his forced labor. Yeah, there were slaves. He built... A lot, not all, but a lot of what he did with the slaves. Those slaves. There seems like there was something that God told Joshua when he came into the land. you remember what it was? He said to utterly drive out the Canaanite, the Hivite, the Perizzite, the Jebusite, so that they wouldn't be in the land anymore. Why? 
because they're just evil, rotten people because of who they are or where they were born. No, because of their system of worship. And that God knew if you keep this system of worship in your midst, somebody is going to begin to make that a part of their life. If I come and say, I'm going to make Christ central, but I still allow in my life all these things that are in opposition to Christ, is my heart divided or undivided? Well, I make them my slave. They're just doing the work I don't want to do. They're still there. Influence is still there, right? There are areas in our life that are no different. Strongholds in our life. Things that are in opposition to God. That we like. Don't we? I mean, if we'll be honest. Come on. There's stuff we watch we shouldn't watch. There's things we read we shouldn't read. There's stuff we listen to we shouldn't listen to. There's things that are in opposition to God that are still in our life. And we comfort ourselves by saying, I have control over those things but does that mean there is no influence or is there they kept slaves and this is no small amount of slaves it took 550 guys just to watch them that's a big labor force right so they took these slaves who worship these other gods and they left them in their midst saying It'll be okay. Now, we fast forward a, a few years. And the division of the kingdom. And the division of the hearts of the people. The gods that these people worshipped. Are now who Israel is worshipping. Because they allow those things to stay. In their midst. They justified it, right? Hey, it's cool. We'll just make them our slaves. <coughs> verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 22 says, But of the children of Israel, Solomon made no forced laborers because they were men of war. By the way, was there any war? Is there any record of Solomon fighting a war? Why? Because God said, I give you peace. But these, the, the men of Israel are all men of war. We got these men of war for... Could they have been a part of the building? Sure they could. Sure they could. But they weren't. He made them, uh, he made them men of war, his servants, his officers, his captains, commanders of his chariots, and his cavalry. Cavalry, isn't that interesting? Don't multiply horses. I have a cavalry. I don't have to call it a multiple of horses. Now I just call it one cavalry. Doesn't sound like so much. Others were chiefs and officials who were over Solomon's work. 550 who ruled over the people who did the work. But Pharaoh's daughter came up from the city of David to her house, which Solomon had built for her. And then he built Milo. Now three times a year, Solomon offered burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar, which he had built for the Lord. And he burned incense with him on the altar that was before the Lord. So he finished the temple. My, I like this too because three times a year 
Solomon continued in, in throughout his reign to still offer the sacrifices. The sacrifices that he's offering are free will sacrifices, not sacrifices that are demanded by God. This is Solomon trying to love God. This is not Solomon trying to fool the people. This is not Solomon. This is Solomon trying to love God. But he has a hard time doing it. Because he's got all this other space taken up in his life. Stuff that should have been devoted to the Lord. Three times a year he would offer. When he offered something to God, let me tell you, he offered, he had a lot. So he offered a lot. He didn't skimp when he gave to the Lord. But he struggles. Because that giving three times a year is not a walk. Right? A walk happens, well, golly, every day. And I'm not saying Solomon had to give every day. But that what was the burnt offering? It was an offering of consecration. I am holy yours. The whole point of the burnt offering was, whatever you were giving, you were utterly burning to a crisp. That means whatever you offered was burnt totally. The smoke went to God. It all belonged to Him. It was a statement that said, I am wholly yours. Just like this burnt offering. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto Him, which is your what? reasonable act of service that's what that's what Solomon's trying to do but that's something that occurs in our life every day not just three times a year he stays faithful to it he is a man who knows the truth who loves God who is trying to honor him, but he's trying to honor him, especially later in his life, with a divided heart. Is that very easy to do? We try to live in both sides. We try to live serving God and serving mammon, or the world, or money. What did Jesus say? How's that work out? You can't do it, right? You either love one or hate the other. But you can't have them both. you got to pick sides. And to pick two sides is to choose. Wrong. To choose. So, <coughs> verse, <coughs> excuse me, verse 26 says, Now King Solomon also built a fleet of ships at Ezion-Geber, which, which is near Elath, or today Elat, on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. Then Hiram sent his servants with the fleet, Seamen who knew the sea to work with the servants of Solomon. Remember I told you that children of Israel were never seafaring people. The sea was a symbol for Israel of evil. So when we come to the symbolic language of the book of Revelation and it says, And the beast arose out of the sea. Or when we read the symbolic language of Revelation that says, In heaven there is no more sea. It's speaking of that which spoke of, of evil, a fearful thing to the nation of Israel. It was something that they were 
afraid of. It's a symbol of saying that there's not going to be anything that you have to be afraid of. Where's the beast come out of? All those fears, all those things that, were, that, that, that they were worried about. That's where he lives. That's where he dwells. That's where he'll come. Well, they were not a seafaring people. So Hiram, the same Hiram that he didn't quite pay back, he, uh, he provided him with the servants or the seamen in order to work the sea. And they went to Ophir and acquired 420 talents of gold from there and brought it to Solomon. When's it enough? We're, gonna, we're not going to go into to chapter 10 yet, but <clears throat> I just want to read the first verse of chapter 10. Just kind of whet your appetite for next week a little bit. Now when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon... About what? How much he did? How much gold he had? How much stuff he had? What was it she heard? Concerning the name of the Lord. She came to test him with questions. Queen of Sheba is going to come. We're going to see the one time Israel fulfills God's plan for the nation. And that was that they would be a light to the Gentiles. About the truth of God. Because God was dwelling in their midst. But God can dwell in our midst if we still have hearts divided. So we want to have hearts of integrity offered to God. Completely fulfilling and, and presenting ourselves to Him as those offerings. A living sacrifice. Another word for that? In Acts chapter 1 verse 4 and 5, Jesus said... Remain here in Jerusalem until you have been endowed with power so that you can be my martus, witness, living sacrifice, martyrs who are still alive. That's a good example of a living sacrifice, right? The power to be that is given into the lives of believers by the power of the Holy Spirit. We just choose. I'm going to walk in Christ, in the power of His Spirit. And we'll have hearts united. A heart given holy to God. Amen? Why don't you stand with me and let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we thank you for this time. <coughs> we could study... That we can study about Solomon, Lord. And I hope we can just sense the warning, the call that you give us. Hey, hearts undivided. Hearts of integrity. A heart after God. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Lord, we just, we want to be able to come to you that way. It's not something we do. It's not something we desire just it's, it's a want that we have, and so we try really hard and, and accomplish it. It is a decision to submit myself to God. To give myself to Him. To ask. The Lord says, you have not because you ask not. Or, you have not because you desire to spend it on your own lusts. We ask, the Father gives. He gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. He gives the power to be his witnesses to those he asks. And Lord, we just, as we come before you tonight, our desire is to be men and women after God's own heart.
undivided. Not making the little compromises that lead to us forsaking the Lord, but living a life rather that brings us to a deeper relationship and the experience of the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Lord, we pray that (coughs) as we study and as we seek your face, you would meet us continually in this place and draw us to yourself that we might be what you're calling us to be. That we would not lack vision, but a direction always moving toward our Lord and Savior, our great God, the Lord Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we thank you and we bless you for this time we could share together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out in a word of worship. We want to invite you to worship with us. And then we'll meet you out in the foyer for a time of fellowship. God bless you guys. Yes, sir. Did you eat all the... No, sir. You had them? You hit them? Okay, everybody get Noe, and we'll find out where the cookies are. God bless you guys, and go in peace. Just can't.
love You are so worthy, Lord I'll keep pouring out for you My cup is overflowing with your perfect love You're all I'm longing for I'll keep pouring out for you my heart and flesh they cry out holy Jesus be my one and only joy heart and flesh they cry out holy Jesus be my one and only joy my hands go up giving you glory I just can't get enough you are so worthy Lord I'll keep pouring it out for you my cup is overflowing with your perfect love you're all I'm longing for I'll keep pouring it out flesh they cry out holy Jesus be my one and only joy heart and flesh they cry out holy Jesus be my one and only joy Lord be our one and only joy Lord uh Protect our hearts, Lord, we pray. Lord, that our hearts and our devotion to you would not be divided, Lord God. Lord, that you would just keep us close to you. Lord, that we would grow in that faith. Lord, that uh, you would not catch us singing songs, Lord, but giving you praise. That it would be a holy prayer from our hearts to you. Lord, uh, we want to be always blessing our Lord. Lord, that we would be that living sacrifice, holy and devoted to you, which is our reasonable sacrifice. Lord, we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.